well, I've never been more pumped up about salt and light in my life. I'm really pumped about salt this morning. That's awesome. Talk about a hype video. But man, it is, uh, it's great to see you all here this morning, and uh, happy Mother's Day. For those of you uh, who are in the room and you bear that title, uh, you bear the title Mother, let me say happy Mother's Day uh, to you. Yep, that's awesome. And if you are uh, also watching on live stream right now and you happen to be a mother, let me just say happy Mother's Day to you as well. In fact, can we just do this? Maybe this would be kind of fun. For those of us who are in the room, can we just say happy Mother's Day to all the moms who are watching on live stream right now? Can we do that on the count of Three. You guys want to do that? All right, here we go. You ready? One, two, three. Happy Mother's Day. So hopefully you heard that and you feel loved. And so if you're watching on live stream, on the count of three, you ready? One, two, three. There you go. All right. I don't, I've never felt more like Dora the Explorer in my entire life as I did right there. But that's awesome. It's a great weekend to celebrate the moms in our lives and appreciate them. And so hopefully you, you get a chance to do that. It's also a great weekend to be here at Grace. And uh, the reason is because we're actually starting a brand new series here today, as you can tell, uh, that's called Salt and Light. And I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks. This is a, a four-week conversation that we're going to be in together uh, called Salt and Light. And as we start off today's conversation, actually, as we start off this whole series, I want to begin by actually asking you a question. It might seem like a strange question at the beginning, but you'll see that it actually is very much related to the conversation we're going to be having today. And the question I want to ask you is actually about labels. I want to ask you a question about labels. And again, it might sound weird, but I think we all know what it means to label something. But for the sake of clarity, uh, here's how you would define a label. Okay, a label is, or labeling is, the process of attaching a descriptive word or phrase to something or someone in a concise and often a simplistic way. And so we all know what it means to label things. So to put it very simply, uh, we label things in our kitchen, right? So uh, you think about little jars or containers that are full of ingredients. You will put a label on them that gives you a very simple kind of um, concise summary of the contents that are within the jar. So sugar or flour or whatever that might be. So we, la- we label ingredients. We label a bunch of things, if you think about it. In fact, they even sell label makers. Some of you might have label makers. Some people go a little crazy with label makers. I thought this was pretty funny. One person uh, labeled their eggs, really young chickens. So I thought that was, that was pretty, pretty cool. But, so we label a bunch of different things. We label ingredients, we label household items. But I think we all know this too, that for better or for worse, and oftentimes it is for worse, uh, we also label people that we will do that, that we have this inclination to categorize and to attach labels to the way that we perceive and we understand other people. We we can't help doing it. We just kind of naturally do. And so with that in mind, here's the question I want you to think about with me here this morning, okay? And again, this is related to where we're going in our conversation. I want to ask you, in your opinion and in your experience, and or in your experience, in what ways do people today label followers of Jesus? I just want you to think about that with me for a moment. So we label a lot of things. We have these brief descriptors that we use to kind of summarize, oftentimes overly simplistic ways to try to summarize a person. And my question to you is, in your opinion and experience, what are some of the labels that people use today to talk about people who follow Jesus? Okay, so that's the question. And I actually want you, just for the sake of today's conversation, to answer me, all right? So I want you to do that. So if you're watching on live stream right now, I want you to type your response in the chat And then uh, the person who's manning that, DJ, will shout that out. And if you're in the room, I actually want you to shout out your responses to me. All right, so let's brainstorm a little bit. I know you're like, wait a minute, can I actually do that? Yes, you can. And uh, and so just shout it out to me. What are some, let's brainstorm out. What are some labels that people give followers of Jesus today? Let's go for it. What was it? 
Fanatic. Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Yeah, fanatic. Bible thumper. Yeah. Jesus freaks. Hypocrite. Right. What was this one you said? Intolerant. Yeah, evangelical. Is that what I heard over here? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a huge label that people give far Jesus. What else? What else? What was it? Close-minded. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. What with bigot? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Bigot's a big label that people give. Last night, someone said something similar. said homophobic. That tends to be a big label. How about this side of the room? We haven't heard. You guys are pretty quiet over here. Boring. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Followers of Jesus are boring. And, and I think you get the idea. We could do this all day. In fact, let's just go ahead. Let's do that all day. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding around. But I think, I think you get the, the idea that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of labels that people give followers of Jesus today. Many of them are, uh, can be kind of negative labels. And some of them are competing. Some of them are politically charged. But there's a lot of confusion around exactly what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the reason I bring it up. The reason I bring it up is because did you know, and I thought this was interesting, did you know that Jesus Christ himself, who is, of course, the founder of the Christian faith, who's the founder of Christianity, did you know that he actually gave labels to those who follow him? He actually did that. He provided labels for that. And interestingly, I just thought this was really interesting, Jesus actually never once called his followers Christians. He never did. Christian's actually not a term that you see in the New Testament very often. It only shows up about three times as it refers to those who follow Jesus. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about actually the first label that Jesus gave to his followers, the first label that we see in the first recorded sermon that Jesus ever preached. And I want to show it to you, and so you, you probably can see where this is going. But if you've got your Bibles, why don't you take it with me? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. All right, so Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to uh, turn our Bibles today, page 785. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one of the ones under the chairs. If you don't own a Bible, you can take that home and you can have that. So Matthew 5. And as you're flipping there, what we're going to see is, again, this is the earliest recorded, most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, we actually just finished a series where we actually looked at the introduction to this sermon, something called the Beatitudes. And so now we're actually looking at the next part, the next part of this message. And as Jesus is teaching, he's actually teaching his disciples, he's teaching his followers, and I want you to notice what he says to his followers. It's the first label that Jesus gives to his followers recorded in the first sermon that he ever preached, and here's what he says, Matthew 5, verse 13. You are, you guessed it, the salt of the earth, that's what he says. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. He goes on. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And isn't it interesting that here is the first place where Jesus gives a descriptive term to identify his disciples, and the term that he gives them is he says, you are the salt of the earth, and he says, you are the light of the world. So here's what we're going to do for the next four weeks that we're together. We're just going to talk about, very simply, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth? What does it mean that he says, you are the light of 
the world. And I actually think that this is a message series, the next four weeks, is going to be helpful, my hope is, for everybody, for everybody in the room and for everybody who's watching right now. And what I mean by that is this, is I know that we're talking about followers of Jesus, and I know that not everyone here today is a follower of Jesus. And so let me just say that if you're someone who's investigating Jesus, or you're someone who's still exploring Christianity, you're just trying to figure it all out, I believe that this series is actually also going to be very helpful to you. And the reason is because in this series, we're going to be looking at the label that Jesus Christ himself gives to his followers. We're not looking at the label that culture gives Jesus followers. We're not looking at the labels that politicians give Jesus followers. We're not looking at the labels that even the church gives Jesus followers. We're looking at what did Jesus say? about his followers. And so my hope is that if you're a person who's investigating Jesus, that we can declutter some of the confusion that shrouds this whole topic of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, of course, for those of us who do follow Christ, I think it's very clear that this series is extremely relevant to us. And I believe that this series is going to make us, it's going to force us to ask a couple questions. Number one, I think it's going to force us to ask, do we see ourselves the same way that Jesus labels us? Do we understand our interaction in the world the way that Jesus understands our interaction in the world? And then number two, I think it's going to force us to ask, what if we took seriously the labels that Jesus gave us? Like, what if we actually, did, what if we actually took it for real, like for real serious, that Jesus called us the salt in the light of the world? So here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to spend our whole time simply talking about salt. That's it. We're going to talk about salt. What does it mean when Jesus says that we're the salt of the earth. What does that label mean? And then next week, we're gonna spend the whole week talking about light. What does Jesus mean when he calls us the light of the world? And then in week three, we're gonna do something really cool. We're gonna do Love Medina. And we're gonna get a chance to actually practice some of what we're learning and some of the things that we're teaching. We're gonna get a chance to get out into our community and love and serve within the community that we live in. I wanna encourage you to be part of that. And then week four, we're gonna conclude the whole thing by talking about how do we make this not just a series and not just an event, but how do we turn this into a lifestyle that we'd be people who live as salt and light. Okay, so... Starting off today, I think it's for the rest of our time talking about salt. When Jesus says, you are the salt of the world, what did he mean by that? What does that label mean? And so to think about that, I actually want to draw out uh, three different kind of aspects that I want to kind of think about here today. And here they are. Uh, I want to talk about, first off, the effects of salt. Okay, so to understand what Jesus means when he says we are the salt of the earth, I think we need to talk about the effects of salt. Number two, I think we need to talk about the essence of salt. It's very important that we understand the essence of salt. And then number three, I just want to talk about how to engage. So very practically, how do you engage as salt for those who follow Christ? Okay, those three things. So the effects, the essence, and then how to engage as salt. So we'll start at the top and work our way through. Let's talk about the effects of salt. So first and foremost, the effects of salt. Now, I, we, we talk about this here at the Medina campus a lot, but it's always important when you read the Bible to remember that the words that you're reading were originally written to or were originally spoken to an audience. And so before we ask the question, what does it mean to me, we always have to ask the question, what did it mean to them? Uh, Because when Jesus spoke these words, he spoke them to a first century audience. And so when Jesus says to this first century audience, you are the salt of the earth, we have to ask the question, what did that mean to them? Before we ask, what did it mean to us? Because salt means certain things to us for sure, but it meant certain things to them. And so what did it mean to them? Well, Some of you might know this already, but back in the first century in the Near Eastern culture, salt was actually a very expensive and very valuable commodity. So today it's not like that. Salt's actually pretty super cheap. 
Back then, that wasn't the case. Extremely, extremely valuable. In fact, I thought this was interesting. Did you know back in, in the first century, it was pretty common for people to get paid in salt? So Roman soldiers would sometimes get paid in salt. It's actually where that little phrase, do you guys ever hear that idiom, that that person's not worth their salt? Do you ever hear that before? I don't think we really say that anymore. But that actually stems all the way back to the first century when people would get paid in salt. And the reason it was so valuable and it was so expensive is because it had such distinct and such specific uses. It had a whole variety of uses back in the first century. One of the ways it was used is it was used for seasoning and flavoring, just like it is today. So we understand that. That was one of the uses of salt. Salt makes things tastier. It makes things more delightful, right? I think we all understand that and would agree with that. But back in the first century, it actually had a more primary use. And the main use in which salt was used, and some of you probably already know this, it actually was a preservative. That's what it was. It was a preservative. And so back in the first century, they didn't have deep freezers. And so if you wanted to keep your meat from going bad, if you wanted to keep your food from rotting, what you would do is you would rub that thing in salt. You would soak it in brine. You'd do something like that so that you keep it from rotting. You keep it from decaying. Now, salt, as many of you guys know, it has an antibacterial effect to it. And so not only was it used as a preservative, but because of that, it also had incredible medicinal uses. So if you had a gash or you had a wound, it was very common that you would rub salt in it. And I know it sounds painful, but that was something that would help like, fight the bacteria. It would be something to help fight off the decay. So when Jesus says to, to, his, to, his, to his followers, he says, hey, you're the salt of the earth. What does he mean? I think part of it is he's saying, you're flavorful, you're seasoning, you are to make, you're to make the world more delightful. But I think maybe even more primary to this audience, what he would have in mind, is he's saying, you are the preservative of the world. You are the preservative of the world. Now, what does that mean exactly? And I'll tell you why I think that this is such an important statement. Because when Jesus says this, I think it's actually very clarifying about a couple things. So just to think about it real simply, what is a preservative? All right, simply put, we all know what a preservative is. A preservative is a substance that's added to food to prevent rotting and decay. Super, super simple. That's what it is. So when Jesus says that, what is he, what is he actually saying here? And I actually think what he's saying is very profound because he's not just saying something about disciples. He's not just saying something about those who follow him. He's also assuming something about the world when he says this. And what is Jesus assuming about the world when he says it needs a preservative. What he's assuming is that the world is rotting and that the world is decaying. That's what he's assuming. This is actually a very profound statement that Jesus is making. Jesus is saying that the world is subject to decay, that culture is breaking down, that there is a moral decay that happens, that everything is in some way or another going into a rotting place, that things get bad is what he's saying. I think it's actually a really accurate assessment. I think all of us who have been alive for any length of time understand this to be true, right? That there is just something in, in the world that we live in that the world we live in is subject to decay. That's true on a lot of different levels, right? That's true on a materialistic level. So if you think about you know, the car that you drive, the house that you own, isn't it true that that thing is subject to decay? That's why you, you have to work to preserve it from breaking down. This is entropy, right? It's the second law of thermodynamics. Everything is moving from order to chaos, not the other way around. Everything is breaking down. It's true about the material world. It's true about our bodies, isn't it? Our bodies are breaking down. All of us are fighting the clock and none of us win. And you know, one of the things I was reminded of, I'm, I'm getting older, so I'm 40 now. And I remember um, 
I remember, I think I may have told you guys before, I remember uh, one of the clear indications that I knew I was getting older was that I started to get sleep-related injuries. Do you guys ever get that? Like you wake up and you're like, man, my back hurts. And someone's like, what happened? Did you lift something weird? You're like, no, I literally laid down for seven hours last night on my bed and I'm hurt. You're like, that's, that's an indication. So we're all, we're all breaking down. But I think what the Bible's gonna say is not only, that, not only is that true with material things in, in the world that we live in, that's true spiritually, that's true relationally, that's true in society. So, so for example, our relationships, in our relationships, human relationships are always falling apart. They always have a natural tendency and a natural drift to erode and decay. And unless you're willing to work to preserve the relationship, unless you're willing to work to fight off things like bitterness and offense and, 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 and uh, difficulty in those relationships, they're, they're going to be subject to decay. I think we know that. Even in the closest of human relationships, I mean, you think about marriage for a minute. I think all of us know who have been married, from the moment you say, I do, on, the, the, the natural drift in your marriage is not towards health. It's not. And if you want to see health in your marriage, you actually have to preserve that. You have to work to preserve it. You have to fight off relational decay and relational dissonance that's going to show up in your marriage. And Jesus is going to say this is also true in society. This is true in society, that culture has a trend to it, that culture has a drift to it, that it's always morally decaying, that it's always eroding, that values are always, always on the decline, that there's brokenness that we see within the family structure, within our society. That's the way that society trends. And by the way, this is a major theme that you see throughout the Bible. All the way from Genesis, in every book after, from the very first book of the Bible on, you're gonna see that society has an inclination towards degrading, morally de- moral degradation and decay that takes place. Now listen, I know for some of you, when I say that, uh, you, you might think to yourself, well, that sounds really pessimistic. In fact, if you're, if you're someone who's, who investigates Jesus, my guess is you might be thinking, that's, you know, that, that right there, that's my problem with Christianity. It's all you Christians, you're talking about how the world is so sinful and how the world is getting bad and how everything's going, you know, everything's going bad in the world and all those kind of things. And you're like, and I'm more optimistic than that. I think the world's a good place and I think we can make it a better place. And I just wanna tell you, I don't think that what Jesus is saying here is pessimistic. I actually think it's very realistic because isn't it true that as many advancements as we've seen in society, medical advancements and educational advancements and, and, um, and technological advancements and so on and so forth, that, that even though things have been advancing in so many ways, that we, it seems like our culture continues to erode more and more morally. It's amazing how that happens. See, and I think that what Jesus is saying here is very realistic. And many people have a lot of different ideas as to how we resolve the erosion and decay that we see within our society. And so some people would say this. Some people would say, well, education, that's the salt of the earth. So how do you fight decay? How do you fight the moral degradation within society? Well, education is the solution. And so if we can just educate people, if we can see education reform, and we can, uh, if we can you know, do, do the right thing in the school systems, then that's gonna combat that's gonna combat the brokenness and that's gonna combat the darkness that we see in the world. Some people would say that. Some people would say, well, maybe not education, but politics, that's the salt of the earth. And so if, if we can just get the right political agenda, if we can just legislate the correct rules and laws and we can put those things into place, then that's going to be the thing that's going to fight against the moral decay and erosion that we see in society. 
So people would say, well, no, it's psychology. See, that's it. And so, and so if we could just untangle our psychological issues and rewire the way we think, then that would be the way that we would overcome the brokenness we see in the world. And I think here's what Jesus is saying. And I think this is actually really profound. Jesus is saying, actually, no, none of these things are salt. None of these things are the salt. Now, I want you to hear me on this. Um, as important as these things are, and they are very, very important. So I don't, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I think all of these are very important. And some of you work in, field, in, in these fields, and you're involved in these fields. And I think that that's actually, that's actually incredibly important. I think salt needs to affect these things. But what Jesus is going to say is these things are not the salt of the earth. He's going to say this. He's going to say to followers of Jesus, no, you, you are the salt. It's you. And I think what Jesus is saying here is so important because he's saying the world needs salt and followers of Jesus are the only salt that is in the world. We are it. We are the salt. I love the way one author put it, John Stott. He's a really famous Christian author. He said it this way. He said, we should not ask what's wrong with the world for that diagnosis has already been given. We already know that the world is rotting. We already know that the world is decaying. He says, but rather, we need to be asking the question, what's happened to the salt? What's happened to the light? So, so for those of us who follow Jesus, we can't get mad at the world for decaying and for eroding. It's just like you can't get mad at meat for going bad. The real question isn't what's wrong with the meat. The real question is where's the salt? The real question isn't what's wrong with the world. The real question is where's the salt? What's happened to the salt? Right? And that's why I think Jesus is saying we need to be the salt of the earth. Yeah, I think this is actually in part, you see the same kind of idea. Je- Jesus actually said something interesting in Mark 9 that I think actually clarifies this. Jesus said, salt is good. He said, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And then look what he says here. He says, have salt among yourselves. That's such an interesting thing. I've never heard anyone say that before. Have salt among yourselves, but look what he says, and be at peace with each other. You see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that part of what it means to have salt and to be salt and in your relationships to have salt is that it brings peace, relational peace. In other words, I think what he's saying is salt is a, it is a preservative. It preserves the relationship. It, it preserves the marriage. It preserves the friendship. It's the one that says, I'm going to fight against the decay that I see in relationships and that we see in the world. I think that's true in culture too. I think followers of Jesus are to be a counteractive agent of moral rot and decay in our environments, in our school, in our family, in your workplace, in our society, everywhere around us. So that's what we're called to be. So we're called to be a preservative, which actually leads me to the next thing. And the next thing I think is very important to talk about is the essence of salt. And I think it's really important that we talk about this because for some of you at this point in the message, if you're still paying attention, and some of you at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, I hear what you're saying. Jesus says that the salt uh, is a preservative. It's intended to fight against you know, decay and rot. Salt is supposed to flavor things in society and followers of Jesus are supposed to be the salt in the world that we live in. And so you might be saying, okay, so tell me how. How are we supposed to do that? Give me something practical. What do you need me to do to be salt? And let me just say that if that's where you're at right now, I love, I love that for many people, we are very action-oriented. I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing. But before we talk about action, we have to stop for a minute because first we have to talk about the essence, the essence of salt. It's so important that we get this right first. In fact, let me see if I can put it this way, all right? I want to put it this way to you. Essence, this is so important. I hope you catch this. Essence must come before action. It must come before action. Now, if that doesn't make sense, let me say it another way to you. 
you cannot, you simply cannot have the effects of salt. You can't. It, without having, or if you lose, the essence of salt. You cannot have the effects of salt if you lose the essence of salt. All right, let me see if I can put it one other way, just to make it as clear as I can. Before you do anything, you have to first be something. You have to be something. Now, some of you are like, it seems like this is a big deal to you. Why are you making a big deal about this? And can I tell you why? Because Jesus does. Because Jesus does. Can I show you what Jesus says right after he says to his followers, you are the salt of the world? Look what he says. I think this is so clarifying. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now look what he says next. He doesn't say, so go do stuff. Not yet. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled underfoot. Notice what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the world. And before he says, go do anything, he says, the first thing he says is, don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose your saltiness. If the salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything. It loses its purpose. In other words, I think what Jesus is saying is distinctiveness precedes usefulness. You know, one of the things about salt that I think is a very obvious observation is that salt is utterly distinct. Did you ever notice that about salt? There's nothing else like it. Like if I asked you, what else is there that tastes like salt? You'd be like, I don't know, things that taste salty? That's like, but it's just utterly, there's nothing else quite like salt. And I think what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that followers of Jesus, there needs to be something very distinct about us. There needs to be something that's altogether different, that's altogether set apart. I think what Jesus is saying is if you lose your distinctiveness, you will lose your effectiveness. If you lose your distinctiveness, if you lose your essence, then you cannot be effective in the world that you live in. So Christ followers are called to be weird. We're called to be different. We're called to be distinct. We're called to be foreign. We're called to be like nothing else around us in the world that we live in. We're like nothing else. We're called to be distinct. And I think that begs an important question then. In what ways are followers of Jesus supposed to be weird? In what ways are they supposed to be distinct? Because let's be honest. Sometimes Christians are known for being weird but I think for maybe in reasons that Jesus never intended. And so for example, sometimes when we think that Christians are supposed to be distinct, we think, well, that must mean that Christians are supposed to be distinctly socially awkward, right? Like we might think of a picture of a guy like this, maybe, that comes to our mind. And um, that's just a joke. That's actually Dan Miller. He leads our student ministries, and I would encourage you to trust your children with him. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, but sometimes we think that, you know, what does it mean to be distinct? It means that we need to be you know, distinctly socially awkward and socially inept, that that's how, we're, that's how Christians are supposed to be weird. I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. Some of us think that what it means to be distinctly Christian is it means that you need to be distinctly annoying. Uh, I had a friend with me share this post. Did you guys ever see something like this on your social media feed where, someone, where a Christian will put this out there? Peter, do you love me? You know I do, Lord. Then share that Facebook post. Did you guys ever get stuff like that? Some of you aren't laughing at this because you're the one who shares stuff like this. And let me just say, if that's you, that's not what Jesus meant when he said be distinct. Sometimes when we think of distinct, we think, does that mean that Christians are supposed to be distinctly harsh and opinionated? Is that what we mean? And let me just say that the way, the la all the labels that we just talked about, that people would say that's what makes Christians different, that's what makes Christians weird, that's what makes Christians distinct, I don't think Jesus had any of that in mind. I don't think he had any of that in mind when he said that you are to be different, you are to be the salt. So what did Jesus mean? When Jesus said you are to be distinct and you are not to lose your saltiness, you're to be salt, but don't lose the essence of salt, what did he actually have in mind when he said that? And I actually think I know what Jesus meant when he said that. 
Maybe you can think about it this way. All right, so this is kind of a helpful way to put it. So, um, so some of you are way smarter than me at this stuff, but to the best that I understand it from the hour of research I did on Google, uh, what I've learned about salt is that the chemical composition of salt, and again, I'm way out of my league here, so if you know something about this, come talk to me afterwards. But from what I understand, the chemical composition of salt is always this. It is always these two elements right here. It is always sodium and chlorine. It is sodium chloride. That is what salt always is. And salt, as far as I understand, is never not this. It's always, always that. That's what salt is. This always equals salt, no matter what kind of salt you're talking about. And so if you have um, table salt, it's always sodium chloride, right? If you have Himalayan salt, it's always sodium chloride. If you have your fancy pants Trader Joe's sea salt, right, that you paid 20 bucks for or whatever, it is always, it just doesn't matter if you're to reduce it down to its essence. What is salt? It's always that. It's never not that. Now, when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, don't lose your saltiness, I think the big question is, what does he mean? What is the essence of what it means to be salt? And I believe that Jesus actually told us the characteristics that always make followers of Jesus salt, that Christians are always this and never not that. And what is that? Some of you are like, well, how do you know? Where, where, when did Jesus talk about that? Well, remember what we said earlier? Context matters. Context always matters. And when did Jesus tell us what it means to be salt? Right before this passage, like just like directly before this. And what came right before this? Well, some of you might remember, we just finished a whole sermon series. It's called Happy. And in that sermon series, what we did is we talked about something called the Beatitudes. Remember this? And the Beatitudes, what are those? Some of you, if you were here, you might remember this. The Beatitudes are the characteristics of a person who is part of the kingdom of God. They're the characteristics of a person who Jesus would call blessed, who are part of his kingdom. And what were those characteristics? Well, if you weren't with us, let me just give you a quick overview of what we talked about. We said that these are the Beatitudes. And Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Those who recognize that they have a deep need for God, that they are spiritually impoverished and need God. Blessed are those who mourn, who recognize the brokenness in the world and recognize the brokenness in themselves. Blessed are those who are meek, who are humble who are willing to surrender their life to God and say, God, I need you. You define and you direct my life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, deeply desire to see, think, see the world put the way that God wants it to be. Blessed are the merciful, those who are so desperate to show mercy, so eager to show mercy because we've been shown mercy from God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, people who wanna make peace. And blessed are those who are willing to be persecuted for doing the right thing. Now, here's what's crazy. If you want to hear more about those characteristics, by the way, I would encourage you to check out that whole series. We spent four weeks talking about those things. But here's what's crazy. It's right after Jesus gives this list and right after Jesus talks about this person who is blessed, right after that, this is what he says. You, you, he says, are the salt of the earth. You are. And I think what Jesus is saying is this, this is the essence of what it means to be salt. This is what makes you distinct. Not that you're weird, not that you're socially awkward, not that you're harsh. It's this, it's this. This is what's gonna make you salt. Salt is never not this. And I think what Jesus is saying is, if you lose that, if you lose your distinctiveness, you have lost your effectiveness. 
you've lost it. In other words, I think Jesus is saying, listen, you may have a loud voice. And I think he's saying, you may have a strong influence. And I think he's saying, you might even be a social activist, but if you have lost your saltiness, you've lost your effectiveness. We have to be something before we do something. We have to be people who embody the characteristics of Jesus Christ. If we compromise Christ-like character and we adopt the characteristics and methods of the world, we've lost our saltiness. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, at least the last thing, the last thing is this. How do we engage? All right, so now let's get practical. So how do we do it then? For, for those who follow Jesus, how do you engage as salt? Now, this is where I think it's gonna honestly, in some ways, sound maybe overly simplistic, but I think that honestly, this is exactly what Jesus has in mind. One of the most obvious aspects of this illustration about salt is that the way that salt works the best, and we all know this, how is salt the most effective? Salt is most effective when it does two things. It does two things, and this is so simple. This is so simple. Number one, it stays salt. Doesn't lose its saltiness. All right, number two, it spreads out. So how do you engage the salt? Here's how you do it. You stay salt, you don't lose the essence of salt, and then you spread out. You spread out. Salt, salt is never effective when it's clumped together. Salt has to be spread out, right? Salt is never effective when it's uninvolved. It has to be involved. It can't be insulated, it has to be, it has to be spread out, it has to be but it, this is true in everything. This is true with food, right? With food, if I have a, a salt shaker and I have, I have my food and they're an inch apart, the salt is making no difference. It has to be sprinkled out. It has to be spread out. It has to get in and it has to penetrate and it has to transform. That's how it's going to be effective. Salt by itself without being involved in other things is useless. No one eats a bowl of salt, right? That'd be disgusting and gross and all those kind of things. But if you sprinkle it on something, like let's just say an Annie Ann's pretzel, for example, dear Lord, hallelujah, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. Why? Because it's best when it's spread out. We have a great example here in Northeast Ohio that they didn't have in the first century, don't we? Think about the wintertime, right? When you have snow and ice on your driveway, which we may have next week for all we know, right? Here, who knows? But what do you do? You spread salt. This is why they sell salt spreaders. It's why they sell salt shakers, because salt needs to be spread out. It needs to get out, it needs to get in, and it needs to transform. I think you get the idea. I think what Jesus is saying is, you're the salt of the earth. So what's that mean? Here's what it means. Stay salty and get out. Spread out. Be involved. Get into your community. Get into your world. Get into your workplace. Get into your family and be salt. And when you are salt in that place, and when you embody those characteristics, you will have the effects of salt because you are the essence of salt. It'll make a difference. If I could just really simplify it, here's a very simple equation for you. Here's how I think it works. I think as a person spends time with Jesus and with his people, even in a setting like this, I think what happens is we open our hearts and we ask God to transform us, and he does. And he makes us into salt. He transforms us into the people that he makes us people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He makes us people who are meek. He makes us people who are willing to be persecuted because of righteousness. And then as we spread out into the world that we live in, I think we make a difference and we make an impact. See, some, sometimes, I think, yeah, I'll be honest with you guys, I think this is a little bit liberating because sometimes I think that we have it in our mind that if we're going to make an impact for those of us who follow Jesus, that what we need is we need to have a big platform. What we need is we need a political candidate. What we need is we need a large-scale influence. 
But I think what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 no. I mean, that's fine. Those are fine. But here's what you need to do. You just need to be salt, and you just need to spread out. And you need to maintain your saltiness. And as you do that, you will maintain your effectiveness. I love the way Sinclair Ferguson put it. Sinclair Ferguson is an author and a pastor, and he said it this way. Like salt, disciples of Jesus may feel small and insignificant and powerless in a society that's power mad. I feel that way sometimes. Yet they have the ability to influence every part of society, to penetrate the whole of society. And when we do that, we make a big difference. Listen, my guess is, if you're a follower of Jesus, that like me, that a big part of your story of how you actually came to know Jesus probably is because there was salt in your life. Now, can I just tell you, I'll tell you a little bit of my story. Some of you guys know this. I came to know Christ when I was 17. But can I tell you part of what led me to receiving Jesus in my life? You know, a big part of that was there was salt in my life. There was salt. I remember distinctly when, uh, when, I, was a, when I was in middle school and high school, I had a friend, a good buddy of mine. We, we shared a lot of common interests. We did a lot of things together. And um, he, was, he, was, he was a Christian. And I just remember, I remember he was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I'll tell you this, he was different. He was different. And I remember there was times, I remember there was times that we would all be doing something and he wouldn't, he wouldn't go along with us. He wouldn't engage in the things that we were engaging in. And I remember that looked different to me. And I remember there was times that we'd talk about things and he would just choose to not talk about the things that we were talking about. He didn't talk the way we talked. And I remember that was interesting to me. And I remember there was times that he would say things and he would love in a way that, in, to me, honestly, seemed weird. It seemed strange. And, and I'll be honest with you, my friend, watching his life and seeing how distinct he was, I'll tell you the truth, it made me thirsty. It made me thirsty. I was like, what makes him be that way? What makes him tick? I'll tell you, I had another, I had another uh, what do you call it, crystal of salt. I was gonna say kernel, but that's not right. I had another piece of salt uh, in my life. I had a guitar teacher. And I remember I would, I would go take guitar lessons. And at that point, all of my heroes were these guitarists. And he was an excellent guitarist. I mean, the dude could shred. He was in a band and he was, his band was really awesome. And as tatted up as he was and as gauged up as he was and those kind of things, it's a follower of Jesus. And I remember he looked different. And I remember he didn't do the things that the other guys did. I remember that he cared about me. He listened to me. He actually was nice to me. And I'm like, why is he nice to me? And he cared, and I just remember it made me thirsty. That's different. I had an aunt. I had an aunt who, in my family, she looked different. She talked different. She cared different. And she invited me to church with her. And I was thirsty, and so I went. And I heard the gospel, and I came to know Jesus Christ. And listen, here's the thing about it. I don't think any of them were even thinking. I don't think any of them had it in their mind. I'm salt. I don't think they thought that. I think they were just being followers of Jesus, living in the world. I think they were staying salt and they were spreading out and it made a big difference in the world in which they live in. Let me just tell you, this, by the way, you guys, is the heart behind Love Medina. We talk about Love Medina, this event that we're gonna do. You know, the whole heartbeat about it is this, is we just, we wanna be people who are distinctly different, who embody the love and servanthood of our savior, Jesus Christ, and who don't just clump up into a building together every weekend, but we also spread out into the community and we make a difference. I know this is just an event, it's a one-time event, but our hope is that as we do this, that it would solidify a value and that it would also cast a vision for a lifestyle, that we would be people who live as salt and live as light, and we don't wanna to clump together. So at this point, I'm gonna ask the band to come up, and uh, as the band comes up, let me just end by saying this, and we have 
three weeks in the series left that we're going to continue to talk about what it means to be salt and light and make a difference. But let me just say, if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, you are, you are the salt of the, of the earth. That's what Jesus says about you. And some of you might be thinking, but I, I'll tell you, I don't feel like salt. And some of you might even be thinking, I don't know if I want to be salt. Can't I just be a Christian who goes to church on the weekends and then doesn't go to hell? Can't I just do that? And can I just tell you, Jesus never gave you that label. He never put that label on you. He said, you're the salt of the earth. That's what he said. So let's not settle, let's not settle for being Christians who just attend church every once in a while, but let's, let's, let's take seriously what Jesus said about us, that we are the salt of the earth. And so you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt in your workplace. You're the salt in your school. You're the salt in your university. You're the salt in your family. We are the salt in our community. And you have no idea when you show up as the salt of the earth, the kind of difference that we can make together. Let's pray. Well, Father, I just wanna say thank you for, uh, thank you that you, Jesus, are the salt of the earth. And you are, Jesus. You, you came to this earth and you looked utterly different. You walked into the brokenness. You walked into the messiness. You walked into the rottingness of this world. And yet you engaged and you were distinct. You were so different. We've never seen anything like you because here you were with all authority and all power given to you and you chose to serve. And here you came and you loved us and you served us and you were meek and you were humble and you were a peacemaker and you were merciful. And in the midst of a world that had no category for that, you were persecuted because of righteousness. But Jesus, you overcame. And because of that, Father, now when we look to you, we become salt as well. So thank you, Jesus, that you loved us enough to walk into our messiness, that you loved us enough to walk into our situation, to bring healing, to preserve life, and to bring salvation. And I pray that you would give us the same heart, God, Lord, we know that we are people, for those of us who follow you, we are people who are not just blessed to be blessed, we're blessed to be a blessing in the world that we live in. And you've given us a purpose in this life and you've given us a calling and you called us salt. That is the label that you put on us. So Father, would you help us, for those of us who follow you, to live into that calling, to live into the label that you gave us. We're salt and we are light. Let's pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.